Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. Back from a stint in the health and safety protocols, it's Matt Penny. <laughs> Penny, how you going, man? Uh, I'm great. If you can see behind me, I'm in the health and safety <laughs> protocols in the North Pole, apparently. Also, my living room, multi, multi-purpose here. You are a, uh, a real bro last podcast by not kind of giving up not really my secret but a little bit of yeah. uh, a peek behind the curtain of my personal life you're like oh he's on he's on a holiday so i actually had a couple people reach out to me being like why didn't you record a pod like you're taking a week off what's wrong with you it's like no i can't breathe <laughs> uh, i felt like i was hit by a bus that's why um that's why i took time off so it's been i'm looking down at my calendar here eight-ish days now home uh in the health and safety po- protocols little weird story i tested uh positive and and a home test negative at an urgent care and then positive on a pcr yeah so test multiple times be safe was bad the first few days got a lot better as time wore on uh my apartment's small my my wife's here my two-year-old son so it's a a little bit of house arrest uh my wife also sends me outside for about an hour a day with a mask <laughs> on out in the backyard like a dog saying get out of here go go stretch get your your exercise whatever you need to do and um yeah we're also potty training at the same time uh, if there's a positive here, it's that I've reverted back to my 2008 wardrobe, which is just sweatpants and uh, hoodies. So that's that's a positive. And um, I, I really get into online grocery shopping because you can't leave the house. <laughs> and I became very old very quickly. I, I had to call because on Christmas Eve, my eggnog wasn't delivered. Oh, God. I felt like a 75-year-old guy. Uh, and it was back-ordered. That's why it wasn't delivered. So I felt like an idiot. Long winded way of saying i'm back i i feel better i'm i'm home i'm not in the my usual studio so i sorry for the christmas cards holiday cards behind us but we're uh, we trudge on that's what we do here the, the pennies are very popular people people meanwhile in my background i've got like nothing <laughs> i've got like a poster here? sitting down there that you can probably see uh it will get hung <laughs> eventually i have like yeah, I, it's like what's what's the actual postage if someone sent you a, a holiday card over there though in Australia? Oh, Isn't aggressive. it like outrageous? Aggressive, yeah. yeah, like way too aggressive. It's funny too. Like you mentioned eggnog, so we had Christmas mm, yes. at Laura's cousin uh, Jack's house, and he and his wife Jess or fiance Jess uh, had a bunch of people over. It was a really good time. And everyone was vaccinated. Like it was, it was, it was awesome, right? And we were outdoors most yep. of the time, like that, that whole thing. But I'm still getting used to the idea of Christmas being in the summer here. <laughs> so, like, oh, we had like Aperol spritzes as opposed to like eggnog <laughs> while we were having drinks. Like it was a, no, it's a no different heavy deal. egg beverages. But you're in California before that too. Well, you had to be a, a, a little used to having sushi as an appetizer and, and not the, the heavy yeah. meat and cheese boards. And, and that was actually a funny thing too is that Christmas Eve, my sister and her husband and my dad were going to come over and then we go like extended family on Christmas Day. But so we had like a bunch of stuff here. We had a bunch of food. Like, we're going to do. So we just did our own little COVID Christmas. So my wife and I were sitting around. I don't know. It was Christmas Eve. It was like 10 o'clock at night, one of those nights watching a movie. She's like, Should I make a charcuterie board right now? I'm like, Absolutely. What, yeah. like, what else are we doing? So we had a 10 to 11 p.m. charcuterie board and watched, I don't know. The Matrix. Yeah, I was going to say, you so might have watched The Matrix, which I still have not seen yet, <laughs> yeah. by the way. Wow. Yeah. I'm shocked. I have watched not a ton of movies, but about six in the last week, which is a, a new record for me. Yeah. 
in the last couple years anyway. I was going to say, I think I've watched, I'm probably in double digits over the last week. And The Matrix has not been one of them because The Matrix is Laura, my lovely wife's favorite movie of all time. And we want to see it in a theater. So we, I kind of made her, we went to the movie theaters last night and I kind of made her prioritize seeing Spider-Man No Way Home because I was worried Mm. about spoilers for her uh, as opposed to The Matrix, which it feels like there's just not like as much of a cultural conversation about on the internet right now for whatever reason. So I figured that that was more... uh, it was a more pressing need for her to go see Spider-Man, which I'd already seen and knew, like, okay, you need to go into this without having seen what's going on. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a spoilers guy ever, and I won't give anything away, but there's a lot of callbacks to The the Matrix, too. Sometimes you watch movies, and or TV shows even, I think is worse, when you finish a season, they come back like a season and a half, well, like a year and a half, two years later. And they'll have, like, a bit character. And it's like, man, I don't remember how they fit in. Where the Matrix, like, beats you over the head with, like, a flashback yeah. from the actual first movie. Like, this is who this character was, yeah. remember? And I said, oh, yeah, I do. But it's been such a long time that if I didn't have that, I would have been a little bit more confused. Yeah, like, Breaking Bad was kind of the, like, king of that, like, callback character that continued to come back. Like, you'd see, like... Tuco or his like uncle come back and then uh, right. there'd be like a battle or you know that whole deal so we're not talking about movies until the end though we are talking uh, about basketball today on the show we have a few topics here because as people have noticed the show it, it's now like segments and shit like this is what we actually do we <laughs> we go in with a plan now it, it's stunning right uh, the, the penny the penny experience has helped uh, has helped the podcast grow mm, in that way structure <laughs> structure yeah. Uh, yeah so first we're going to talk about uh, Penny's just beautiful hometown basketball organization the Boston Celtics. Uh, what a what a what a team that is right now. And then we're going to move into <laughs> NBA draft wings because there's a weird crop of wings in this class that we don't really know what to make of yet. And then we're going to do mailbag. We're going to do prospects of the week. And then maybe at the end we might do some movie stuff. So, okay, Penny, the Boston Celtics. They are kind of a mess. They just lost Ooh. to a Minnesota Timberwolves team last night that was led by Greg Monroe, Nathan Knight, Jordan McLaughlin, uh, and others as uh carl anthony towns at all are out in the health and safety protocols which you know of all too well uh <laughs> oh boy this is a yes. the celtics team is not very good right now and the worst part about it is it feels like the vibes around the celtics are just like the just minimally uh terrible at the moment just it feels like uh, a stench emanating from Boston right now due to the basketball team. And it's a shame. Like, I, I really want this team to be good. I think that uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are not the problem. But here we are, and the Celtics are sitting at uh, – I'm pulling up their record now. I don't have the exact number yeah, in front of me. It's six, six, 16 and 18. It is 16 and 18. Uh, they do yeah. have a plus scoring differential, which gives you some vague hope that maybe you know they're a little bit better than what the record would indicate. But I don't know, man. When I watch the Celtics – I am just like, there are some significant, significant flaws that need to get worked out here uh, around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, not like because of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. 
Well, we have to start by asking how long this segment's going to be because there's a there's a lot to to talk about here. Just with the team stuff, just general stats. They're yeah. 28th in the league in scoring. They're 22nd in three point shooting. 23rd in field goal percentage. 22 in assists. So as much as the point differential helps when you're not shooting the ball and you're the lower tier of the league, it's hard to win a lot of games. Yeah. The vibes are bad. Uh, Al Horford had a quote post game yesterday, just something along the lines of, "We got to do some soul searching. We got to look in the mirror." evaluate ourselves and Jalen Brown was told that quote and he just said like yeah okay no comment uh and Jalen Brown also had a quote that said just our chemistry wasn't there our team chemistry wasn't there Greg Monroe got to the arena at 4 p.m uh never been played on that team before uh they asked him post game I think he played 25 minutes they asked him post game what he thought of some of the performances he said I thought Jalen Noel played really well uh didn't know his name till the end of the game (laughs) Which is fun. I'm glad he's candid about that. But if we're going to talk about chemistry issues, like what's Minnesota doing when they're rolling out there with the lineup you said and Jordan McLaughlin and Malik Beasley, and there's pros, obviously, but yeah. it's different. And you expect to win that game. And despite losing by five, no matter what you read or, or look at today or, or listen to, it's universally panned as the worst loss of the season. Because they also don't have like a, a ton of fight in them either. They've let games get away. They're three and seven in the last ten. They should have won that game Christmas Day against Milwaukee. I mean, when, yeah. when Giannis goes Hulk-up mode, good luck. Uh, still shouldn't have let it slip away. And then w- with Minnesota, too, I- I've now watched that game twice. The the effort is, is very concerning. And Jalen Brown was 8 for 24. It's, it's hard to win with that. With, with Tatum's also in health and safety protocol stuff. So it's, it's kind of like, and I heard your pod you did with Dave Dufour, I believe, when you talked about having both Tatum and Brown. You, you have two elite self-creating wings that are 25 years old or younger that's what's covering the league why blow that up well my question to you you're you're much more of an nba guy than me you have marcus smart you have robert williams you have aaron naismith you have all these other pieces yep how are you able to package them together and and what's the sort of return you want if you're keeping those the the other two guys they're your foundational pieces How, how do you package everything else up to improve what you're seeing on the court right now so I, I think that there are two key points that we have to say first with Boston. And I think it's like we, we need to figure out what the problems are. Like you kind of laid out in terms of the numbers, what the problems are. Uh, the first thing is shooting, which you brought up. Like they just have no shooters around Jalen Brown and right. Jason Tatum. The floor gets clogged. I don't think anyone really respects Al Horford as a shooter. Nobody gives a fuck if Dennis Schroeder is shooting because everyone just doesn't really respect him as a player. Uh, I, I mean, Marcus Smart, teams let him shoot from the perimeter whenever he wants when he's out on the court. Uh, the rest of the young guys just haven't built up any sort of cachet league-wide as shooters. So when I look at the Celtics, I think this is a team that desperately needs more shooting out on the court. Number two, this team does not have a point guard. Uh, there is no point guard that can work to get teammates involved and this is kind of an idea that I wanted to talk to you about and like this is something that I brought up on that podcast with Dave Dufour this yep. team has no connective tissue players outside of Al Horford in my view and Marcus Smart to an extent but Marcus Smart I think does like to play on the ball a little bit more than the kind of player that I'm specifically referring to. But I would happily refer to Smart in this way. Uh, 
they have no connective tissue players. Like, you look at the Bulls, the reason the Bulls work with two shoot-first wings and Zach Levine and uh, DeMar DeRozan on the wings, right, taking up as much usage as they can, is because they have two wholly unselfish guys next to them in Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball that they can keep out on the court, that can make high-level passing reads, that can make great headman passes, that rebound the ball, that defend at a high level. They just do everything and fill all the holes, plug all the gaps that you look for from a team, right? And that, to me, is like the epitome of a connective tissue player. Like, I want someone who can just plug the gaps on a roster, right? And theoretically, Marcus Smart can do that from time to time because he's such a high-level defender. But he does like to dominate the ball a little bit more than this type of player, I think. And he doesn't shoot it. Like, the other thing with these guys is that they tend to be able to shoot the basketball. The Celtics need to prioritize guys who can defend, guys who can shoot, and guys who are unselfish passers. It's hard to find those guys all in one single, like, you know, uh, package of player, right? right? Like, it's not the easiest thing in the world to find someone like this. But to me, their best bet going forward is, like, punting this season. Like, I, I, w- I would not really care. Like, I would want to make the play in. But they can't win a title this year. Like, they're not good enough to win no. a title. So if I was them, so Marcus Smart is eligible to be traded, I believe, starting in, I, I think it's like mid to late January. I don't know the exact date that he signed his contract uh, officially and uh, made it six months from like the mid to late August date that he signed his extension, right? So they can move him starting in mid to late January, let's say. I would move Marcus Smart for an expiring contract and future assets. Like I brought up the idea of like a Joe Ingles and a first round pick for Marcus Smart deal. Joe Ingles helps them from a shooting perspective. He helps them from an unselfishness perspective. He is not like an elite level defender, but he's not a bad defender. And I don't think that like there would be a drastic drop off. They're a pretty good defensive team as it is. I think that they can make it work with Joe Ingles who works hard and is big and is strong. Um, I think that Marcus Smart helps Utah. He gives them another elite-level perimeter defender, which is something that they do need. Uh, He is a confident shooter, which is something that is necessary within their scheme. So I kind of think that for Utah, like that makes sense. I think for Boston, it makes sense because it helps to clear their books for next offseason. I would try to find a taker for Al Horford's $13 million or whatever the number is guaranteed next season. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't want to give up my first round pick this year, but I would be willing to attach like, you know, Romeo Langford or, you know, I I don't know if I'd want to attach like Aaron Naismith or Grant. Maybe I'd be willing to attach a Grant Williams, right? To that deal to get Al Horford's money off of my books for an expiring contract next year. I would want to go into the off season with basically very, very little on the books outside of Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Robert Williams, and young guys. That that would be my that'd be my goal at the end of the day. Uh, I would want very, very little on the books going forward. And I think that that is how you go about attacking, and I keep bringing up the Bulls, but a Chicago Bullsian, uh, you know, quick little rebuild. You already have the core pieces that you want to build around in place. That's the hard part. 
Maintaining flexibility around those core pieces is really important for moments like this where you need to do a full shift of the players around those guys, right? I would basically focus my next two months if I was Boston, maybe even, you know, six or seven months, depending on how long it takes them to offload certain contracts. Uh, I would want to focus my next little while here on clearing the books, making it so that uh, I can get into this offseason with as much flexibility as possible because next year is Boston's critical year. They have two years left on Jalen Brown's contract after this year. They need to prove to Jalen Brown that it is worth staying in Boston to play next to Jalen or Jason Tatum. Yes. Uh, everything you say, I, I totally agree with. Here, here's the problems I have with it, though. Is that you, you kind of drafted shooting. Aaron Neesmith was drafted for shooting. Hasn't necessarily got like the, the fair shake, I guess. He's playing 10 minutes a night before... He was uh, put in health and safety protocols. Peyton Pritchard was brought in for a shooting. He was really out of the rotation before yep. eight guys entered health and safety protocols. The draft, if they're not going to play necessarily the guys that they're drafting, I don't know if I want to build up all these picks if Ime Odoka just doesn't feel comfortable or feels like you need to more win right now. And the free agency thing that scares me is we're not a, a, a destination so, like, it, it sounds good to, to have a lot of cap space and you're going to do trades or whatever, but I don't think you're one, two, three, even, like, five on upper-tier free agents list, so you have to, like, overpay a little bit, which yeah. they did for Al Horford, and that started the, the trickle-down effect of everybody else. And if you remember with the trades of uh, with Ray Allen, with Kevin Garnett, that was because Paul Pierce is already here. They were very close in, in my mind. They blew it up a little bit, add some pieces, end up winning a championship. I, I don't know if people are clamoring to play with – Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown right now. I like the the Joe Engels feel, but the draft it's it just it's scary because the the draft it's like I, I pulled off your name. They uh, I think you had him at like fourteen or sixteen right now. You have him taking Usman Dang. I like Usman Dang. He's good. I don't know if he plays ten minutes a night next year. No, he doesn't. Uh, like, I, I'll just say that. So like, like so you have that. You have free agency. You don't know necessarily what you're going to get. You're not, you're not a sexier place like an LA or, or Miami where we'll get a guy or two. So as much as you need to make some moves, and I don't think a major one, I, I, I still am just like leery of, of where it comes from. Well, the, the other move that I like for them is trying to get involved with the Ben Simmons, like sweepstakes without moving Jalen Brown, right? Like seeing if you can find a way to move, you know, three future first round picks for Ben Simmons uh, you know, in a three-team deal or a four-team deal, right? Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's probably more doable if, if he's on board with that, if, if Philadelphia is on board with that, you get a third partner in there. And then when you roll out, he, he, he's somebody that we talked about offline that can be one of these connectors, and, right. and that's what they, they probably need. It's like the criticism of Ben Simmons is he doesn't want to shoot in the games. The criticism with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum is all they want to do is shoot at the end of the game. So it is kind of a marriage that could work between those type of guys. I'd like another point guard, too. I thought maybe Josh Richardson would slide into that role a little bit. Uh, I'm not super confident, comfort, confident, comfortable or confident with Marcus Smart always kind of taking the ball end of games. And, uh, yeah, Ben Simmons would, would be an attractive piece. I, I don't know if Darren Moore would go for what our, our poo-poo platter of, of picks and prospects would be. I don't think that Daryl Morey would, but I wonder if there's a world where you can involve like four teams 
and yeah. you know can can get like a mishmash of things together with other players going elsewhere and kind of things like that and just kind of trying to make it happen as much as anything but I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I, I think that the Celtics are in a very difficult situation now. Uh, the other thing is that, like, they could really upgrade themselves by getting shooting. And I don't think shooting yeah. is that hard to find on the market. Like, the Rockets became a much more viable team just by playing, like, Garrison Matthews and Armani Brooks and, like, spacing the court out and like actually deciding to play coherent, competent offense. Right. Um, And by the (laughs) way, like the Celtics cut, like this is salt in the wound because the Celtics cut Garrison Matthews um, at training camp. Just twisting, twisting the knife too. He's exactly Uh, what they needed. Like maybe, maybe the answer is playing Sam Hauser, but I don't think Sam Hauser is the kind of movement shooter that Garrison Matthews is. Yeah. It's it's just crazy how, like, the bounces and rolls go with it, too. We're talking about this here now. A couple years later, I mean, were we a fluke Gordon Hayward injury away from being in the finals and making a run for it? Does, does that make Kyrie less of a malcontent when he was in Boston? Does that? But now, all of a sudden, we're, we're picking up the pieces and saying, we messed up cutting Garrison Matthews. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, that's basketball. That's pro sports. Yeah. Moves quickly. Uh, well, they they I have just right people in the front office, but you, you have to do something. You, you can't sit in your hands too, because beyond that, it's it's been a tough uh, a tough product to watch. It has, and, and there's a lot of like casual Celtics fans and close Celtics fans out there that like I can't watch it, especially in the fourth, because you see it slipping away. It turns into one on one basketball. There's not movement because you don't have one of those connectors, so it becomes these, this side isolation sidestep three what are we doing here we don't defend we're not fighting through screens and as much as marcus smart i get it that maybe it's time for him to move on why people resonate with him in boston is because he plays so hard he cares he'll he'll step up for charges he dies for loose balls does he take some crazy jump shots three times a game where it's no 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 yes 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 absolutely right but I, i want guys to kind of bring that intensity more and, and as much as we're shipping out Al Horford, God bless him. Because if you've watched the, the Minnesota game, he was the only guy, in my eyes, that was actually trying to move the ball. They yep. started the game with a short roll. He hit an alley-oop to Robert Williams. Next time he took it off the rim, drives full court, gives Jalen Brown a post-feed. Like, he's trying. Like, father time's undefeated. I, I get it. He's in the back end. But but he's trying. Like, those two guys, like, I, I don't question their uh their intensity or their intent out there yeah and and i don't question them being good basketball players like i I think that they're good like i actually think that they're helpful basketball players in an nba construct like al horford last year like okc had to shut him down because they were playing too well with him at times like he he was almost (laughs) we're tanking stop being good at basketball yeah he was too useful for them so like I think Al Horford's good. I think Marcus Smart's a good basketball player. I think that the problem is that Marcus Smart's deficiencies offensively are almost catastrophic with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum's tendencies offensively. Sure. And that makes it tough. That that makes it yeah. really, really tough to kind of navigate. But, okay, we've talked enough about the Celtics. Do you, do you have a closing <sighs> sentiment here before we move forward? No, that, that, that was heartbreaking. It's going to get better. Yeah, and that's yeah. all I got. It's going to get better. Uh, I'm I proud have. of us. Make a trade. We kept that to like between 15 and 20 minutes. That was the <laughs> goal here. Uh, we did well. Okay. Let's move on. Let's talk about wings. But first, we're going to take a quick commercial break. 
we're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. back. NBA draft wings. This is a weird wing class, is it not, Penny? Because we we were uh, we were texting back and forth over the uh, last what, let's say, twenty four hours, and we were trying to figure out like what guys do we want to talk about here? What wings kind of fit the mold of potential first round picks? Because I think that that's what we want to stick to here. We, we want to talk about guys that have a chance to be first round picks and we settled on a group, but I, I mean like some of these guys, like I don't feel, I don't feel awesome about them to be honest. Yeah. Has the group settled on themselves yet? We, we no. have names. I think we changed three or four because we were supposed to record last week before my, my body shut down and the names kind of changed a little bit. And there's been like a game or two for each of them. Uh, there's a guy who I think has really stepped up. And there's about six or seven that have just remained, I would argue, in neutral, if not going in reverse. Yeah. So pair that with a, a weaker point guard class, too. Is it's, I know it's a big, heavy draft, but like we said, we're, we're looking for the Jalen Browns. We're looking for the Jason Tatums. Many teams try to build around that archetype of player. 
So who do we have right now that at least gets us somewhat excited, knowing they're going to be lottery picks, knowing they're going to be in the first round, may take some time to get better and be contributors, but they're certainly going to be called on draft night in the green room. Okay, I will just start with this. Who is the best wing for you right now in the 2022 NBA draft? (sighs) Define best. Do you mean like... (laughs) Who is the one that you would take (laughs) highest? Ah, gosh. So let's say they're all still on the board after, and this is not including Jabari Smith, who we think of as more of like a four. Um, I I would understand if you want to include Jabari Smith here. We're choosing not to. But if we are, he would be very clearly the top one. He'd be number one. Um, Not including Paulo Bancaro, not including Chet Holmgren, not including um, Jaden Ivey, obviously. So who is your guy? Oh, uh, it's not my guy. I, I, I want to say Pat Baldwin Jr. I can't. I, I, I can't based on what we've seen. So I'd say for right now, as crazy as it is to, to get here, I would say Ben Matherin from Arizona. Okay, that's an interesting answer. It wouldn't be my answer, but I do want to talk about Ben Matherin. So uh, yeah. give, give me some thoughts on Ben Matherin here in terms of why you think he's the guy that you trust most, let's say, maybe, among that, this wing That's a fair way of putting it. Yeah. He's been really good lately. I mean, the, the tear he's been on has been noteworthy. He's hitting threes. He's keeping it simple. He's making better, quicker reads. I, I thought he had that true breakout game against Oregon State. He had 29 points, six rebounds. He was 11 for 18 from the field. He was four for nine from three. Uh, I liked how Arizona sped up Oregon State to force him into bad decisions. And the first couple of threes that he had were on fast breaks or in scramble situations. Confidently caught it, knocked it down, no yeah. problem. The, the numbers are a little funky when you dive in because he's a significantly better shooter. When guarded versus unguarded, people say maybe throw that out, but it shows he's taking a, a lot of difficult shots at times. I do feel like he, he's tempered that off more than he had the first handful of games anyway. Uh, he's converted in transition, too. Like these games, when you actually just watch the, the chopped-up highlights, it looks like a, a package you'd see on draft night with him putting it behind his back and dunking yeah. and catching backdoor alley-oops. And then the next time out, he hits a three. Then he does the three on the side of the head. So he believes in kind of the trajectory he's on. Uh, I am a little worried about the passing and the, and the passing reads. He can be a blinders guy on the catch or, or when he turns the corner coming off screens. Like, he's going to get Ben Matherin. He's, he's not kicking out to, uh, a Tubelis who's spacing the floor or, or Terry who's, who's opposite. He, he's going to attack and, and yeah. try to dunk and pull up. And for, for what it's and, worth on that front, too, I do think part of that is the scheme. You, you go back, you look at Gonzaga pass, right? Their wings are more floor spacers. Then they are sure. like playmakers and passers, right? Like they're play finishers, yeah. they're cutters, they're transition players. Like we talked at length last year about how Corey Kispert was uh, the highest scoring transition player in college basketball last season. Uh, and, and new coach Tommy Lloyd obviously comes uh, from 20 years at Gonzaga. They're running very similar stuff in terms of what Gonzaga has run under Mark Few. So I, I do think that it is worth contextualizing the passing a little bit. I agree with you. I think that you're absolutely right that Matherin's passing needs to improve. But it, part of that, I do think, is schematic to an extent. And, and it's just simplifying for him. It, it sounds strange, but I don't love it when he dribbles. He gets himself in trouble when he's bringing the ball up or anything beyond two or three dribbles in the half court. When he catches it on the wing, shot fake, two dribbles, hard pull up, cut opposite, 
he can get trapped and, and turn it over when he tries to do more than that. But when he does limit it, it's been pretty damn good. It has. Yeah. I mean, he, he had the, the press break highlights, sitting threes with his feet set. Uh, he had a two-hand alley-oop that he finished with, with still with one hand. It shows the body control. He holds his ground on drives. Yeah. So he's kind of going on the upward trajectory, for me anyway, when a lot of the other guys are haven't really separated themselves from the rest of the pack. Yeah, another thing that I'll mention, too, is that I'm comfortable with him dribbling more than twice, right? I just want it in a straight Three line. Three times. Right? Sure. Like, right. Th- that's right. the that's, key. That's fine. Like, I think yep. he's actually pretty good at stopping. He has, like, a good jump stop floater as well, like, yep. that I think is going to be a really effective shot for him at the next level whenever he has to attack closeouts. He's obviously a high-level shooter. We believe in that skill set. Where are you on him defensively? Because that that's where I can't. I think he's fine on defense. Fine. I don't think he's like an elite level defender who's going to be like a high level impact guy in the NBA. I think he'll handle his position well. I think that like you're going to be able to switch him at the very least one through three right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe fours later in his career, especially given the way that the four position is downsized. But I don't see him being like an impact defender either Uh, i think he's just like a passenger is probably like too strong of a word defensively because i don't think that he's going to hinder your defense but i don't think he's gonna hurt it or i don't think he's gonna like be the guy who lifts it either no it's kind of just not indifference that's a bad word but he just needs to be a little bit more fundamentally sound he he is a, a gambles guy he does want to get steals he does want to have that highlight play out on the break and, and it has to be just just less of that rotations a, a little bit better a little bit tighter uh they have some bigger games coming up too so we'll be able to see it more I, i'm hoping that the the offense not that it was ever off but then he just had 20 28 or so against tennessee the other night and they got a tough whistle i think he fouled out too but he has more of those matchups coming up where hopefully he can build on some of the lukewarmish defensive efforts pair it with the offense and become this top seven eight guy in the draft Okay, so I would have Ben Mather in the top 10 right now pretty easily. Like, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. I would still take Kendall Brown right now. Oh, let's do it. Let's dive in. And I think that this is like a preference thing, right? More than It's like an eye of the beholder. What I like in terms of skill sets for the NBA as opposed to you. And I think that your case is totally reasonable as well because mm-hmm. – Both of these guys have flaws, like Ben Matherin making passing reads, high-level defensive effort. Um, It's a concern, right? But his shooting is going to get him on the court immediately. Kendall Brown, I don't know where I stand on the shooting because he just doesn't really take them. Like, he doesn't really look at the basket. So that's (laughs) honestly, like, probably a good sign that he's not a great shooter. Isn't that scary, though? yeah, we're talking top five. You won't look at the hoop. That's to scary a little bit. Oh, it terrifies the hell out of me. Absolutely terrifies me. <laughs> but he does everything else. And this gets back to that idea. And maybe it's just like right now I'm so focused on this idea of like connective tissue players, mm. right? right? And guys who scale, right? Like that's the thing. These guys who are multi-skilled and defend and pass and have a great feel for the game, they scale in the playoffs, because you can trust them to make good decisions. You can trust them to make the right reads. You can trust them to defend multi-positions. You, you can just have faith in them. And this is a weird comparison, but like 
When I watch him, I see a lot of the things that have made Franz Wagner successful early this season so far. Go on. And he's much more athletic. He's much more explosive. But, like, he's a really good off-ball passer. And by that, I mean, like, he's a really smart cutter. And then he catches and he quickly surveys or he has already surveyed before cutting and knows where his teammates are going to be. And he can make that quick touch pass or he can make that like, you know, the next pass kick out after a baseline cut. Right. Uh, He can also just like run a ball screen and make a reasonable pass. Like, I don't think he's, you know, a high level, unbelievable distributor as a passer yet. Uh, And they rarely use him in that way. A lot of the time it's more like out in transition. He's making high level passeries out in transition. Um, A lot of that stuff was there with Wagner last year. A lot of that stuff, I think, is there with Kendall Brown this year. High-level switchable defender. Uh, I have full faith that he's going to be really, really good on that end. Like, when I see Kendall Brown, I see more of, like, Aaron Gordon than, you know, Sean Marion or something like that. Uh, Aaron Gordon is probably, like, a top, I don't know, 60, 70 player in the NBA. Definitely an above-average starter, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, at number five, number six, number seven in this draft... I'm like pretty cool with that at this point. I know there are flaws. Like I said, he barely looks at the basket whenever he's shooting <laughs> yeah. or whenever he well, catches the ball well, in the corner. Yeah. But like, I mean, I mean that's that that's with, with Franz. though. Franz six ten and, and moves. Uh, he's clearly not as athletic uh, off the ground and, and by the rim. Yeah. But I feel like he, his passes are a little bit crisper, a little bit sharper. And now we're talking about Franz Wagner's potential potential at least in discussion, to be Rookie of the Year. I mean, he's put up multiple 25-point games. Yeah. He looks like the guy that should have went, what it was, fifth overall and not eighth. Yeah. Uh, everything he did at Michigan has just been amplified in, in a good way, and now he's becoming sort of a takeover-ish guy with, with injuries and, and what have you and, and roster realignment. When Franz Wagner has a summer to work on his jumper, like, forget about it. He, he's going to be a potentially top-three guy in that draft. Not hot take. We'll talk about that in a week when we talk about rookies. For... Kendall Brown, the the good here, what I like, is he's a, a major part of one of the better college defenses in the country. Uh, I think Baylor for what it's worth, I think they are the best defense. I know that LSU right now is yeah. rated as the best defense, but put it this way. Baylor lost Mark Vital and Davion Mitchell and got better defensively because Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan and all of those guys came and allowed them to be more flexible. And I think that that speaks to the value of positional size defensively in length and athleticism like it is such an enormous benefit that kendall brown like to me that is the difference between why i would take kendall brown over johnny davis like it's much harder to be six foot five and make a defensive impact than it is to be six foot eight and make a defensive impact like kendall brown can and and that team it's like uh a 40-minute shell drill of rotations, traps, forcing teams into bad situations. And yep. for Kendall Brown specifically, he, he is like – so bad. He, he's like a shark. Like he always has to stay in motion. Like he dies if he stops. He, he never stops. If you watch him, yep. like he's always moving. Offense, defense, foul called, whatever. It's like his feet are always moving. He's on the balls. He's, in, he's bouncing around. He's trapping. He's running. He's cutting through. What I am concerned about and what we, we talked about here a little bit, in the context of a top-10 pick is the offense. Yes, he's shooting – 70% from the field, like 71%. He's like second in yeah. the country, which is outrageous, but he doesn't look at the rim. 
uh, on the catch on, on many possessions. He doesn't try to create. Unless someone else is creating for him or he catches it versus a shifting defense, he's going to reverse the ball almost as soon as he touches it. I mean, Baylor runs that high dribble weave, and, and he's content just weaving. Like, he'll just weave all day. Like, oh, here you go. Like it's, and then he'll wait and go back door. He's a great cutter. Yeah. And he'll catch and dunk it. So because of this, his points per possession and his field goal percentage is through the roof. I mean, there's picking your spots, and there's whatever he does. I, I tweeted this last week. He had, His shot chart is legitimately everything in the paint. He's taken like 10 three-pointers. He hasn't taken a mid-range jumper. So in terms of analytics darlings, I don't know if that's still like the, the en vogue thing. It seems like it changes by the, the minute sometimes with the NBA. I just, for top five, top six, until that offense gets there, uh, I, I'm just I'm slow to say he, he's there for me. He, he's probably top 10-ish range. Yeah. I'm not saying he's 35th or anything like that. I, I love the tools and what he brings to the table defensively. It's just, if I was like a contender, I'm trying to think of somebody who would like have a top five pick and just need like one connected piece. Good, good example is like Golden State. If Golden State had the picks they had last year, I would take him with that Kamega pick. Like, no problem. Perfect. Like, just yep. pass to Curry, Clay, Poole, Draymond, whatever. Like, connect it, play defense, perfect. But for the teams that are there right now and I don't have in front of me, I'd want more of, like, a foundational offensive guy to get my my team going. Yeah. I get that. Like, I, I think that that's all totally reasonable and rational. Like, I, I don't have a – I don't have defense against that. Like, I, I would love to not take Kendall Brown at number five. Also, I, I, I don't know who the other guys are. You know, that's the <laughs> yeah, problem. Like, I don't either. I don't either. Yeah, I, don't either. I, I had no prep for who you're going to say the top wing is because there's not this hit over the head, like, how did you miss this guy? Well, and here's the guy that I think we're hoping. We're, we're hoping it's A.J. Griffin, right? Like, yeah, he's made strides over the last, I don't know, what do you want to say, two weeks, right? Uh up until Duke yep. has had these like few cancellations here recently, mm-hmm. uh, he has still played like one third of Duke's minutes this year. But against right. Virginia Tech, like he went four four from two point range, had thirteen points, had four rebounds, had a block and a steal. Um, against South Carolina State, he was phenomenal. He went like seven of eight from the field, had four assists, he had nineteen points. Uh, Lafayette had eighteen points, like. There are signs there that A.J. Griffin is getting very comfortable with college basketball. And I think we all hope that A.J. Griffin is the guy that leaps into this range. I think it would be pretty hard to take him above 9 or 10 right now. Yeah, there there's a, a loud contingent on draft Twitter that still has him in the top five. I think right now is crazy. Until he shows more, because he has beat up on guys, with the exception yeah. like Virginia Tech, he's beat up on guys in garbage time. There's five minutes left, go nuts, hit, hit four threes, go seven for nine, go dunk on the second team guys. Right. He was much better in that VTech game, cutting. Uh, he, I said this the other day, too. He kind of has like this pro package of moves, like workout moves. I don't mean that as, as a negative, where he catches it. It's a shot fake. It's an extension for one hard dribble. It's a pull-up. He balances really well. Uh, when he gets in the air, he squares himself up. He has pop off the floor. We, we, we also can't discount that this kid hasn't played a ton of reps of basketball. His junior year in high school, right. he got injured in January. He's out for the rest of the year. His, his senior year of high school, uh, the state of New York doesn't play till February. He shuts it down because of an ankle injury. He goes and trains with his dad, Adrian Griffin, assistant coach of the Raptors, in Tampa because that's where the Raptors were 
working out and playing because they couldn't go back and forth to Canada. And, and then he gets to do he's injured. So he's playing from behind. He, he's clearly building up trust with his teammates, with his coaches. He's getting his legs under him. And when he gets more minutes, you, you could see more. But we're we're not there yet. We're, if he does this in ACC play and, and strings together a bunch of 15-point games and he's kind of taking on more of the offensive scoring load from the wing, from like a Wendell Moore, we can have this conversation. I think it's a little bit premature to say that he's going to be a, a top seven tennis guy. Well, and like this is where the whole like draft Twitter, like having no consequences thing comes up, right? Like th- there is no consequence for someone random on the internet to say, oh yeah, like I would take AJ Griffin third right now. Uh, right, right. There, there is not an NBA executive that would take AJ Griffin in the top four right now. There just isn't. Oh, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think so. And, and he passes the look test. Uh, yep. He looks like a superhero. He's six foot six. He's he's chiseled out of granite. Uh, the jumper is a, a a little weird. He has a wide base on his jumper, but yep. he he seems okay with it, like a, a muscle memory thing. He can power his way to, into the lane. It's it's consistency. It's uh, staying locked in, making meaningful minutes, playing more than five minutes a night, which is a little bit out of. His hands, but I, I thought he would be like the the number two with Paul Bancaro yeah. at Duke. That's that's a little bit Trevor Keels, a little bit Wendell Moore. But there's there's certainly a chance for him to to catapult back up here. Don't know if it's a one year, two year thing. Uh, not writing him off, but he he still has to answer some questions. Yeah, and frankly, like if someone wants to rank AJ Griffin at five, I, I wouldn't. I would disagree with that right now. But I would at least understand the concept of it. You know what I mean? Sure. Like I would. Yeah, that, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, we get it. Like, yeah. coming out of high school, uh, what do we have, 10th, 12th? Like, somewhere around there. Right. It's not this crazy thing of this unranked kid. Like, he had a lot of fans. He had some critics in high school that ranked him a little bit lower. And rightfully so. He didn't play. He didn't play basically for two years. He didn't play in the summer. He didn't play in the spring. So you only have what you see. If you don't see a guy, so you're not penalizing him for being hurt. But you are penalizing a little bit because... He hasn't been seen. You don't know if he's gotten better or if he's fallen off. Right. He's, he's somewhere in the middle. He's building himself back up. He, he has a, a skill package and the background, the bloodlines to make it. But you got to make it. You got to do it. You got to yeah. take the next step. Okay. Do you want to just do something quick on Johnny Davis? I talked about Johnny Davis for like, you know, probably six minutes on the last podcast because I got a question about it. I don't mm. think I need to dive super deep into him. I, I would have him somewhere in the like nine to fourteen range right now. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll just kind of give you the floor because listeners of the last show, you guys can go back, you can listen to the question I got on the solo mailbag episode about Johnny Davis. If you want my opinion, I, I just don't need to like rehash it again. I'll give Matt the floor because I think Matt even is a little bit higher on him than I am. Yeah, I love Johnny Davis. I, I sort of had him as a sleeper the first week of the season, but now we're talking about top 10. I don't know, I don't know how much we're sleeping on him. Yeah. I, I like the scoring. He is a three-level scorer. We can come off screens and get to the rim, has some pop in the lane, uh, has a good pull-up jumper, can hit threes. He's delivered. He was MVP of the Maui Invitational. Uh, doesn't shy away from the moment. I feel like he's he's on this path to continue to get better. Uh, it's just it's it's same thing with with guys like AJ Griffin. Like if this continues and and we see ten more games like this and he runs through the Big Ten, totally be on board. Uh, I'm hesitant. I, I am a, a very big fan uh, of who he is. I don't know how much switchability at, at six five. Like he's not the Kendall Brown guy that can guard all the way up the lineup. 
uh, is very strong, is a hard worker. He was on the Under Armour circuit, so I, I saw him kind of grow up there and, and how he's added to his game. Uh, keeps getting better. So uh, a guy that, that I really like and keep an eye on. But uh, I'm similar with you, sort of that 8 to 12-ish range right now. Okay. Um, let, let's talk about Trevor Keels real quick and, and just kind of – because to me, he's more – look, I, I've talked to some NBA teams that have him like late lottery. Uh, I've talked to some teams that have him more in the 20s. Uh, he, this is where we start getting into like that range of guys where there is no consensus. And obviously, I think A.J. Griffin fits that billing. I've talked to NBA teams that have Johnny Davis as like a 20s guy or as a mid-first round guy. I've talked to a couple that think he's a lottery guy like you and I do. Um you know, Oshag Baji, we're going to talk about momentarily. I've talked to a couple teams that think mid-first round. I've talked to a couple teams that think, like, late 20s for him. So mm-hmm. we're into that lack of consensus area for the wings. So uh, I, I will give you the floor on Trevor Keels, who it's taken me a while to warm to, I, I would say. Uh, and I'm not sure I'm totally there yet. <laughs> How warm's the water? Is it warm enough? You, you jumping in or still just kind of dipping your toes? Uh, dipping the toes, I, I think. Shallow. Because here, here's the thing. Like, every NBA person that I've talked to is just like, oh, no, we think he's going to shoot. Like, don't worry about the percentages. Like, don't worry about him being shooting 31% on high volume right now. He'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Like, he'll shoot. Um, I think I'm less sold on that than many are at least at the level that i think he'll need to shoot to be like a great player i I thought he looked like a world beater opening night versus kentucky where he had 25 points on 10 of 18 shooting and locked down ty ty washington and and i thought of myself as an idiot because we didn't even like really mention him in the first wave of guys just always slaughtered him as a a two to three year player uh had some injury stuff in high school had to get back in shape and you don't know what those guys it's it's Similar to the A.J. Griffin story. You don't know where they end up. They get to do they get the college campus. He's still been solid. He, he has. He's like 41% from the field, up and down from threes in, in the low 30s. He knows how to use his body to score. He makes that first bump pre-cut or, or pre-post-catch to catch his man off balance a little bit, which is very smart, very savvy. As good as he's been with, with his style and, and that type of play. He's going to add a little bit more, have to add a little bit more finesse because the, yeah. the battering ram drives – haven't proven to be the most translatable in the NBA. Now, if you're six foot eight and you're doing that and leaning in, sure. At, at his size and the jumper is still at thirty ish percent, no. Uh, am I overthinking that at all? Because I, he is listed at six foot three, two hundred twenty pounds. We just talked about how much we like Marcus Smart, who has similar measurables. But I, I'm not on the crazy trend here, saying like the shot, the finesse, something has to get there in order for him to be in the lottery conversation. I think Marcus Smart is probably an inch and a half taller. And yep. drastically more athletic, like not not sure, but but my point is more like that build, like that type of yeah structural shoulders and, to and me it's, wider base and yeah, like to me it's more like Eric Gordon in. almost, and like Eric Gordon was like better shooter, better shooter, number one player in the country out of high school, a lot more finesse also by the way, like to me though like the Eric Gordon pathway. You know, mid-career Eric Gordon, after he had lost some of the athleticism following the knee injuries, like, that's more the pathway for Trevor Keels just due to the lack of, like, elite-level explosiveness. 
and right. the lack of finesse right now. But again, it, like Eric it, got got a lot of finesse at like a certain point. Like he was very skilled. Oh, so and, and, and was was a killer in the corners in that Houston series with with Golden State, where they're an injury yeah. away from 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 making the finals. And, and with Keels, I'll I'll say this too: he does have some touch on the move. He he does have a yeah. floater. He's gonna have to he's gonna have to use that more often in the in the eyes of scouts. The shot has been falling. You can tell he knows it. He's not gonna search for threes. He can get himself going with mid range pull ups. He gets the free throw line. Uh, a guy on the floor. He, he's he's a, a winner. He defends. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't fear him being there in crunch time. Um, but it, if we're talking top ten, so much of the offensive concerns, we have other guys. He has to bump his percentages, and, and the shot has to fall. He, he did in high school. It, it'll get there, just not right now. Yeah, like I, I would say like late teens for me right now on – Trevor yeah, I'm, I'm, so, I'm somewhere around there. I, I think yeah. early 20s. I don't, I don't have it pulled up right now, but that that's like that's a comfortable range. I don't I don't necessarily think he's a a top 10 guy. Um, he, he has leapfrogged some of these freshmen that haven't necessarily produced once it got into yeah. early kind of conferences play or, or bigger time matchups. But uh, yeah, probably would be nice two year guy. But this is a this is a crazy draft. Is, is this draft also shaking shaping up to be like the? Oh my God, that guy went seventh. Oh, I can't believe he went eleventh. Or, or does this kind of like, by the time we're done here in March, it becomes more of a structured. This guy's here. This guy's there. Or is it so much uncertainty that like we don't even know really what's going to happen past say five? I think we're going to see more certainty later in the process. Like, and, and by later in the process, I mean like later in the college basketball season, because. Teams will start traveling, I think, more and more to these tournaments where they can knock out like eight games or eight players at once, right? Um, SEC tournament, ACC tournament, NCAA tournament, etc. Right? Um, until then, I, like I, I think we're gonna see like the epitome of, oh my god, this guy had a great NCAA tournament and he jumped up the board, right? Like I, I think we're gonna see yep. a lot of that this year at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, which look like I, I think that those games should matter more than a regular season game, but not overreacting to them is also critical. And we will see how much overreaction occurs. I think. I, I think that's where I'm at. Fair. Okay. Uh, Oshai Baji. We've talked a lot about Oshai this year. I don't know that we need to like belabor it. Uh, I would have him. You know, sim- similar range to Keels. Uh, just a. I think he's a better athlete than Keels. I think he is a more switchable defender, and I buy him more as a shooter. I think that as I think the floor is higher for Oshai Agbaji than it is for Trevor Keels. I think that the ceiling is probably higher for Keels just because he's a better passer, seems to have a real sense of like feel for the game. Mm-hmm. I still worry about that just a little bit with Oshai, but uh I am generally sold on Oshai Baji being a terrific, terrific um, seventh man in the NBA. Ooh, yeah. You don't want your seventh man to go 13th. Uh, you know our, what, though? Our... Like, look, I think that that's okay if he does. Like, in this class, my, maybe my expectations are so low <laughs> for this class where I'm like, oh, yeah, like, you know. Can he may- be He'll be like a good seventh man. And look, like he could be more than that. Like he could be a great fifth starter, but yeah. that that's the range I see for him. And, and like nobody complains that, complains that Cam Johnson went, you know, I think he went 13th, right? 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good age comparison type thing too. Is the, the ageist out there don't draft old? They did, and he's been he's been really good. Just you, you know what you're getting for Ochai. He's been everything we asked, everything to do when he returned to school. He he's delivered, and yep. then some consistency across the board. Far more locked in possession to possession. Not nearly as many lapses as we saw before. He's shooting 57% from the field, 49% from three. Even if the three-point number is a little bit of fake life, as it can be this early in the season, it's an improvement trajectory that's gone from 31% to 34% to 38% to where we're at now. Points are up. Rebounds are up. He's had 20-plus points in seven of their 10 games. Uh, he's hitting threes. He's scoring on the break. He's making guys pay when they go under on screens. The handle looks a little bit better. He doesn't really play outside of himself. When he drives now, it's with much more belief and conviction. He's not looking for that relief valve as he's going to, to kick out. Uh, and more than most times, defensively, he's in a stance. And it helps away from the ball. Can close out too hard. At times, he does have that kind of tendency and, and overcommit. But at his size and athletic ability, he's able to switch. He's able to grab the lineup. He's a little bit older. If we evaluate him in a vacuum, does he look like a borderline lottery pick? I, I would say yes, I, I would. And um, there's different schools of thought. If you take a younger guy like a Trevor Keels or you take a sort of this is what you're getting with Oshai, and it's like Indiana. You, you take Chris Duarte, you, you know what you're getting. Like, do you do it again? Yeah. Uh, now you're blowing it up and you want to develop? I don't know. But there, there'll be a franchise that's intrigued enough for how he's gotten better and, and say, like, that's a guy that maybe he's a seventh man, but like a really good one. Okay. Um, next up is who, who did who did we want to bring up? We wanted to talk about like Marjan Beauchamp, um, you know, another guy that I would have in the twenties somewhere. I, I worry a little bit too much about the jumper, but yeah, and, and the passing as well, like just the offensive skill level. But I love the defense. I love the energy. I love the athleticism. Great frame. There's you know, some real interest there. Like he, he's probably, I don't know. I would say Dyson Daniels is my favorite ignite guy, like pretty clearly right now. And then would you rather have Marjan Beauchamp or Jaden Hardy? I feel like that's a, it's actually a question for me now. It is. And he made a lot of fans during that G league showcase. And I was not there. It was just NBA people in select media. And I thought I'd get more questions about Jaden Hardy afterwards and more people are asking oh uh, i've gotten a lot of questions about Jaden hardy (laughs) yeah well different kind of questions but people are more like what's marshall beauchamp's story he was kind of like this late addition to the g league he was he bounced around high school was just going to train he went to junior college it's not last chance you but he kind of ended up there and started to believe like a lot of these guys in himself and they can play at that level he's six foot six he has good length and he's one of these uh, not super connector guys who think our definitions are a little bit different but he's this third fourth guy on the floor where if you sleep on him he's going to make you pay he's going to cut and score he's going to take it off the dribble uh he's a great like offensive rebound tip dunk guy he's a a high level garbage man I, i mean that as a compliment, 57% yep. from the field, three-point percentage, not great, 24%. That has to go up. 1.5 steals per game, and he just makes his impact by staying out of the way. And we talked about Jaden Hardy, and he can get dribble-heavy. He just knows where to rotate and to move, and if and when Hardy ever passes, he's he's ready to, to catch and dunk and finish. Uh, I, I think he's a high-level cleanup guy on the glass. He, he's a great piece somewhere. Don't know if there's necessarily star upside there is a lot of contributor upside to what he does, though. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that's a really good way to put it. Like, I, I think he's going to be a solid contributor, eighth man <laughs> again. Like, this, yeah. is, this is the range we're looking at, right? Um, yeah, I, I like Marjan Beauchamp in like a similar capacity to. Like, here's a good question: Would you rather Marjan Beauchamp or Herb Jones last year? Uh, Herb Jones. I'd, I'd rather Herb Jones a killer. Yeah, like I had Herb Jones in the first round, and I would rather have Herb Jones. Um, but I think that's the range. Like, I think it's like later first round, Tw- early 20s, something like yeah, that. I mean, yeah, yeah, 25, 35-ish. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really want to belabor the Jaden Hardy thing because he might not be good. Um, <sighs> we're talking wings today. He is not a wing. Yeah, we're not. Um <laughs> Let's go Wendell Moore next. I have Wendell Moore yeah. as like a top 40 guy. I think you're a little bit higher. Uh, we probably could have done the Duke guys like all together and knocked them out, I guess, uh, for as much <laughs> I didn't as... I know you're going there. He, he was underneath, but I didn't know where you're going. Yeah, for as much as planning uh, has improved on this podcast, as much of things stay the same, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a process. It's a journey. Yeah, Wendell Moore is now shooting 41% from three after having made, uh, I, I believe it's like seven of 10 over his last three games. If you take mm-hmm. those three away, I think he's down around his career average of like 31% from three. Uh, I, I still just don't totally buy the jump shot. I'm willing to be swayed uh, over the course of this year. I would love to see him knock down catch and shoot shots. If he continues to knock down catch and shoot shots, I think that he is... Absolutely a first-round pick. Uh, if he does not, I have real worries about the shooting and lack of athleticism combination as it moves forward. Like, he, his swing skill is the shooting. He has to shoot. Otherwise, I think he's going to have problems doing anything else on offense in the NBA. Now, I've waited for the dip to happen this season, and it, it hasn't. He, he's been really good. He's had double figures every game. 20 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, 6 steals versus Gonzaga. 58% from the field. His points are up from almost 10 to 17. His assists of doubles, he's playing on the ball a lot, running yep. some of Duke's offense and, and pulling back out and, and, and resitting. Is, is there something in the water that, that him and Caleb Love had in the offseason to erase the previous season? Because he seems like one of these, like, I don't know if the, if the analogy I want to make is like memento or, or the men in black, like buzzer, but it, it's like yeah. you're removing that whole season and, and it's back to kind of the player we thought they'd be he's a high percentage finisher around the basket i think he shoots a pretty clean ball right now when when he doesn't rush it spots and corners knocks out open looks scores on the break much better off the dribble than he was last season handle is still a little bit loose like it it can be poked out it it can be a little prone to some turnovers here and there Uh, another 1.5 steals per game type of player i I like him as a rotational guy i think late-ish first round if he stays where he's at maybe 20-ish beauty in the eye of the beholder type deal but he he's at least solidified himself as, as part of this group that we're talking about for the most part yeah I, I mean look i don't have much to add to that I, I just i think i worry a little bit more about the jumper than you do i don't yeah. love how long it like takes him to load into it like i think that yep that is a very real concern and you know playing teams that aren't wildly athletic and aren't like rushing to close out on him I think really helps him quite a bit right now. But if he if he can shoot, then he's again in that like eighth man boat that we've been talking about with all these wings. Yeah. If he doesn't shoot, I, I his handle isn't good enough to consistently break down defenders and play on the ball. He's not 
explosive enough athletically to make that work. So I just worry about what the role would be offensively. But I like him a lot defensively. I think he makes uh, really good gambles. I think like he makes timely gambles is a good way to put yeah. it. Uh, he stays solid whenever he has to stay solid. He's long. He's strong. Uh, I, I am... I've always liked Wendell Moore, like even going back to high school. Like I really liked him the first time I saw him at Pangos. God, maybe back in 2017, I would venture that was. Um, I've always been kind of in. I didn't love the first two years, obviously. No, not many people did. But we'll see. Uh, Yeah. I mean, okay, freshman quick dive here. Uh, We have a few. Harrison Ingram, Max Christie, Peyton Watson, Bryce McGowan's, Caleb Houston. Over under two and a half of those guys emerging into one and duns that leave and go in the first round. Ooh. Um that's a good line. Yeah. Now, there's a there's a the emerging is the word, because I, I think some of those guys might be one and done and, and may not emerge. Right. So I'll take the over just because i think a lot of those guys will declare and somebody in the that 25 to 30 range we've talked about that's so coveted will someone take a swing they'll take a gamble you're a contender right. draft them put them in the g league get them better i i have no inside information here i'm, I'm guessing max christie goes back to school he's averaging nine points per game but just hasn't really lived up to the the yeah. heavy preseason hype and billing doesn't seem like he's in a rush to to leave yep uh was Bryce great against McGowan's. Oakland and has shown flashes like against Louisville and against Butler, but I would venture he's probably the most likely to go back of this crew. Bryce McGowan's, I mean, he had 29 and 26 his first two games and leveled off. He was okay against NC State, went to like 100 overtimes. I watched that and missed a big free throw down the stretch, but just hasn't been super efficient. Like, I'd like to see yeah. him go back. I, 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 let's just take them one at a time. I, I think he's been not good. Against good teams. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's fair. I mean, the, the numbers don't lie with that one. Yeah. So against Creighton, six points on three of ten shooting, uh, three fouls was basically a non-factor. Uh, the NC State game, look, like he did have 24 points and nine rebounds, but he also took seven free throws and 23 shots to get there in four overtimes, mm-hmm. right? Like, yep. not the most efficient game. Uh, against Indiana, Three for 14, uh, three turnovers. Against Michigan, he goes two for nine. Uh, Against Auburn, he goes four for 12 for 14 points. Uh, Got Mm -hmm. to the line seven times, which is good, but um, still not a particularly efficient game. Four for 14 against Kansas State. Uh, So far this season against tier A and B competition, according to Ken Palm, that's five games. He is two for 21 from three. A lot of those shots are pull-ups. He's playing next to Alonzo Verge, who is a ball hog and is a tough player to watch play. I get it, but uh, at some point he's going to have to produce. He's going to have to be efficient and showcase that he can uh, make the impact that his potential as a ball handler and as a... Uh, as a creator uh, that we all think he has. Yes. It's it's hard to because with injuries, with his brother breaking his foot and Wilhelm Breeden back is out for the year, 
it's not the easiest schedule and easiest thing to do as a freshman who probably wasn't prepared for this crazy spotlight. But when you come out the gates with two 25-point games, the spotlight's on you, and it's just been a struggle. Well, and NBA scouts really liked him, too, coming into the year. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even think it was – like, he, he consolidated that with the first couple of games, and now playing real teams, it has been a problem. And we'll yes. see where it goes from here. Uh, I think he has a chance to be a one-and-done. I – don't think he would go in the first round based off of his performances right now. Um, but that could change by mid-year, by the end of the year. Even. Yeah. Uh, yep. Peyton Watson has a 34.5 true shooting percentage, a 20% turnover rate, is 1 for 10 from 3 this year, and shooting 35% from 2-point range. Uh, if, he if there's, has not had a field goal in a month. Yeah, if there's one guy who needs to go back, so, sorry, it, it might not be Max Christie. It might need to be Peyton Watson. Yeah, if he's drafting the first round, which is possible, we've seen crazier things, it's because a team believes in him as this domestic drafting stash. He, they believe in him as this pre-draft guy based on his high school stuff, based on his tape from USA Basketball, based on preseason workouts, based on going to UCLA and actually evaluating him alongside Johnny Juzang and, and Jaime Jaquez and all their other prospects, but it's not based on what's going on the court. I think McCronin and his staff has given him some opportunities. It's it's tough to crack a, a lineup when you have your whole starting five returning to school, plus your Ag Miles Johnson and your freshman. You need to build some level of trust. Uh, outside that Bellarmine game, it just hasn't been enough for, for me to pique my interest. Harrison Ingram uh, has probably been the most effective out of these mm-hmm. guys this year, I would say. Uh you know, Bryce McGowan's had a couple of effective games, but like Harrison Ingram had 15 against Texas, uh, had 19 against like a good Santa Clara team, uh, had 16 against Oregon and was excellent in that win for Stanford. I still am pretty worried about the lack of shooting personally. He's shooting 31% from three so far. Uh, and it's just like not a crazy athlete. And he's 6'8", which really helps, but he's going to have yeah. to shoot it. Like, that's purely what it comes down to, I think. Yeah, he, he has skill at his size. It's That percentage will get better with fewer of these desperation shots late in the shot clock. And he had the, the one-man rally of, of seven straight points against Dartmouth to put him into overtime. Yeah. Like, he has that in, he has that in him. Like, he scored – it was, it was two two-point field goals and a three, and then they went in OT. Uh, the best part of me for me is the passing. It's the four-ish assists per game. Yeah. Uh, away from the ball, he's still directing traffic. You can tell he has a good sense and feel of, of spacing, where guys are supposed to be. Can do a little bit of work out of pick and roll. I, I know that there's some land mammal-ish concerns, like <laughs> his feet aren't the quickest. Uh, offensively, I, I do feel he could be comfortable on NBA floor right now. I am worried about how he moves and switches at at six eight. I mean, he, that's not great size for a, a, a three, really, based on the foot speed. So... Who's he guard? Who's he defend? It would have to be some defensive scheme where they're covering for him when he's beat off the dribble. Yeah, I think his pathway is becoming an elite shooter. Like that That's just what he has to do. Yeah. He has to work as hard as he can over the next two years on being as good of a shooter as he can be. Uh, do we have one more? One more guy in this group? Uh, uh, Caleb Houston. Caleb Houston. Yeah, he had a couple really good games. Uh, the San Diego State game I thought was really good. And then what was the other one? Mm-hmm. He, had, he had one other one that I thought was good. It was the next one. <sighs> Tarleton State. I don't know who was uh, the next one. He played well against Tarleton State. Yeah, no. It was, um, 
It was Nebraska. He was good in the Nebraska game as well. Because I watched that game for the Caleb Houston, uh, Bryce McGowan's ball. Bryce McGowan's, yep. And, yeah, he had 16 points. He made four of seven from three. He had six rebounds, three assists. Like, I think he's solidified himself a little bit more than this group in general. Like, I, I would say that I would pretty comfortably take him in the 20s, maybe even in the late teens now. But again, like you're still worried about lack of athleticism and mm-hmm. shooting concerns. But I feel a little bit more confident about his shooting after what we've seen over the last month. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know how to differentiate these six for ten, six for nine games for the field versus the two for sevens and two for nines where he's invisible yeah. at times. And I'm worried about like the pre-shot mechanics, the speed of it. Yeah. When he comes off screens, and even it's a screen, it's a, it's a pin down. He comes up like that. Defender catches up with him pretty often, and yeah. like blocks a shot, alters his shot. Like that shouldn't happen at, at his size and, and what you need to be in the NBA because those defenders only get faster, longer. Like it's not going to be an easier path than than what it is right now. And if those shots aren't falling, uh, what else is he doing? Because he doesn't have necessarily like the offensive creator connector chops that Franz Wagner has in that role yeah. and it's, it's a little bit difficult when you're playing with Hunter Dickinson you're playing Musa Diabate so you're more of a three than a stretch four so that's that's what my concern is it, it's, it's gotten better it, it yeah. has but uh, there's there hasn't been enough flashes for me to say like yeah this is a a big shooter who's going to be able to get it off hit it consistently and let's take him 15th. So I guess the like my question is how much of the conversation with Caleb Houston is due to our preconceived notions of Caleb Houston coming into the year and mm. people having him as a lottery pick versus Harrison Ingram where we had him like in the top 40, right? Cuz sure. like I I wonder if that burden of expectations has made us reduce what Caleb Houston has done and almost elevate what Harrison Ingram has done. Cause like I would still pretty comfortably take Caleb Houston just based off what we've seen this year, even from mm-hmm. those two. And that's not to say that Harrison Ingram has been bad or anything. I just think that Caleb Houston, like the flashes he showed against San Diego state, the flashes against Nebraska, you know, you brought up Tarleton state game, like, you know, whatever. Right. But wraps up. You know, from that November 24th game against Tarleton State, you know, through the game against Southern Utah, he hasn't had fewer than eight points in a game. He's been in double figures for half of those games. Like, he's he's figuring it out. I think that by the end of the year, we're, we're going to look and Caleb Houston's probably going to end up being fine. Yeah, it, it's he had a good summer with, with the Canadian national team. And he did not have a good shooting summer, but he did everything else well. He passed well, he rebounded well, he ran the offense. So I thought the shooting would come around, pair it with what's there at 6'8 or 6'9. That, that's great, intangible size, whatever you want to deem it, as a, a wing in the NBA. The shot's not there. He's not doing as much creation stuff. Not really being asked to do as much creation yeah. stuff. That's why I've, I've taken pause with it. Okay, uh, let's, let's shift the order of our final two segments here. Because I think that okay. it just matches a little bit better. Because we're both talking about wings in our prospect of the week segment. Mm. And I think that it makes more sense just to you know finalize this whole segment here. We're going inception segment within a segment, essentially. Uh, 
talking about two wings that we really, really like. We didn't mention Blake Wesley. We talked about Blake Wesley uh, a couple weeks ago. He was your game theory prospect of the week, then went out and made the game winner against Kentucky. Um, Boom. I think Blake Wesley probably would go in the first round right now if he declared. Do you agree? Yeah. I'd say late first. There's a. I, I didn't start this train by any means, but he's he's gained and yeah. added more fans since hitting that game winner where he was on all scouts lists. I mean, yeah. I, I went to shoot around at BC. There was NBA teams there watching him. Like it's not like it was this total surprise. But when you have the Stones at the game winner and that first game he played against Illinois, he had like 25 or something. So he's creating a, a nice little resume for himself as a shot creator. It's the the shot is a little bit funky. Like yeah. I, I think that's kind of making NBA teams say, "Well, let, let's see a little bit more." But I, I'd feel fine slotting him late first round if yeah. he went right now. And look, well, too, to go back he's, to school, another guy too. Yeah, and look, like he's another guy too, where he's probably more of a guard, to be honest, than a wing. Yeah, like right. he had nine assists against Texas Corpus Christi. He often plays like the lead guard uh, mm-hmm. for Notre Dame at this point. Um, but you just look, I mean, he's been in double figures literally every single game since uh, their second game in Maui. And yeah. he's six foot five. He's a real half-court shot creator. I think he probably goes in the first round if he was to declare and continues this level of play up. Uh, but let's go to the Game Theory NBA Draft Prospects of the Week. Penny, you, as always, get the floor to go Ooh, first. So, so gracious of you. My Game Theory podcast prospect of the week is aminu muhammad from georgetown i feel like the buzz has grown since the last week when i had him here and now yeah. i'm not trying to make it a, a trendy pick but when you watch him he epitomizes a power guard for me it could be guard wing but he's six foot five 210 pounds really smash mouth in your face attacking style of basketball the only real stinker he had was over 10 against st joe's he's been better than 50 percent of the field the four games that followed that He's a grinder on the glass. He battles for second-chance opportunities. He can score after he secures a rebound. can be a little bit of an offensive adventure when he has time to create. There's some crazy <laughs> passes in there. There's some drives throwing yeah. himself into the trees in the middle. Despite the numbers and you know the touch on his release for a shot, uh, he's nowhere near the, the point of me trusting the jumper. I know it's like not a, a great sell, but when he gets to his move, he, he's going. And, and yeah. he's scoring, and he's putting his shoulders into you, and it almost feels like he's going to get two shots when he falls with a miss. Uh, I don't think that he's going to go out there and bail out. He's not. He's going through your body. He's going to the rim, and he might drag you with him as he goes. Well, I, uh, I think there's, there's a great there's a great prospect comparison. It's just in the last few years for him. Shoot, Lou Dort. Like it, it reminds I mean, me if of he's, if he yeah, yeah. I mean, then defensively he he can be a dog. I mean, I, I'd like yeah. to see more time, more seizing to that offensive skill set. And it's not always going to be like the prettiest out there, but a player that that I like on the floor. Like I like him contribute to to winning. I love his intensity. I love his approach. Uh, how he works for his points. How he works for his rebounds. How he really sits down and defends. He's been a bright spot in an up and down Georgetown team, and um, I like where he's going. He, he had a, a lot of NBA fans at the Elite One Hundred a couple of years ago, and, and now he's like on the on the scene and, and living up to those expectations. Yeah, like everything about Aminu Muhammad as a prospect reminds me of the Lou Dort like prospect experience. Uh, he is six foot four, six foot five, two hundred and ten pounds, super strong, super physical, about a year older than his draft class or than his recruiting class because he's already twenty, if I remember correctly. Um, mm-hmm. 
super physical, super strong, very aggressive on the glass, very tough. Like, like you said, at the point of attack, an absolute dog defensively. Like, fights oh, yeah. his ass off. Um, goes through dudes. Like, it's nothing. Like, to me, like, it, it, everything from his prospect profile ticks the Lou Dort boxes for me. The The one thing I will say is that I think Lou was a little bit better of, like, a passer slash, you know, they, they could play him at point in a pinch. Uh, I don't love when he, when Aminu Muhammad no, is, like, no. initiating the offense for Georgetown. Uh, I, I think that they're much better when it's someone like Dante Harris or, like, one of those guys. But... There, there are a lot of boxes, I, I think, across the board that tick the, like, um, Lou Dort starter kit, maybe, um, oh, for like Aminu Muhammad. And, and he pulls up guys to play at his intensity level, too. He's not one of these yep. guys where if it's a little flat, he gets flat, too. It's like, I'm going to be in 100. If you guys don't want to be 100 with me, that's fine, but I'm going 100. Yeah. So if he if he's Lou Dort, uh, yeah, that that's probably the ceiling. I mean, I think Lou Dort's a incredible NBA player. Yeah, it'd be like hard a, for me to like a borderline starter in the Amino. NBA. Yeah, right. It'd be hard for me to not see him on an NBA roster. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I would have Aminu Muhammad as a top forty-five guy right now, like mm-hmm. pretty easily. Uh, where would you have him? Yeah, I I haven't even like really slaughtered him there. It, it's more of like I want to do more research. If I had to put him somewhere right now, I'd put him in top forty for sure. Yeah, um, just the athleticism, strength, like play hard combination i think is real um and just have to speed speed up the jumper a little bit too like the jumper like i know the numbers he's shooting yeah. at 50 percent of the field not taking a ton of them but a couple of game but if, if that goes there with everything else it's a it's a nice little starter kit to, to start off your offensive experience yeah okay so my prospect of the week is tari eason out of lsu <sighs> this is someone that like honestly he missed their last game so like it has nothing to do with like oh my god he's incredible in their last game it's just someone that we need to talk about on some yeah. level. Like we just haven't mm-hmm. found that in to talk about Tari Eason uh, on the show. And I want to do so because I think he is like a very real prospect. He is six foot eight, 220 pounds. Let's say something yeah. in that range. Uh, super athlete and gets the most out of that athleticism. Uh, he is a very reactive basketball player. Maybe not super athlete. Maybe that's the wrong way to put it. It's more, gets the most out of the athleticism that he has and is like a legit NBA level athlete. And it's because of the way he just sees the floor is is remarkable in in a lot of different Mm -hmm. ways. Right. Uh, He is a really smart cutter. He is a like reasonable enough passer, I would say, but like where, where the impact comes is on defense. Like I'm not sure I've seen a player this year who is quite as impactful to his team's bottom line defensively as Tari Eason is. He's switchable. He's a terrific help defender. He's just all over the court everywhere that you see him. And he is the critical reason, I think, why LSU has the number one defense in college basketball right now, according to Ken Palm. Um, To me, he's a defensive difference maker. Now, the real question here is the jumper, right? Like, I think that there's touch there. I don't hate the shooting mechanics even. Like he's shooting, I think, like right around 80% from the foul line. Mm-hmm. It's a low release and it has, it's not like it's even hitchy. 
It's just a low release that has like a weird load into it. And I think that there's actual touch on display within the jumper, but the mechanics are so inconsistent in terms of how he gets into it that the results are just not there. Like, I think that there's a chance that he can be a shooter in time. I would have a late first round grade on Tari Eason at the very least top 40 guy, um, but probably more in that late first round range. Yeah, I'm late first round too. I liked him out of high school as a junior. He was at Federal Way High School in Washington, which is the same high school team as Jaden McDaniels. Yep. I piqued my interest a little bit as a prospect at Cincinnati. I didn't know the jump would be so mammoth between a transfer and, and a year. Uh, he's doubled his points, 16 a clip, 7.4 rebounds, 1.7 steals, 1.4 blocks yep. at six foot eight. And I also think he plays bigger than, than six foot eight. He skies off the floor, then the fluidity off the dribble allows him to exploit mismatches on the perimeter. He's always had the pick and pop, catch, and, and two dribble game in his bag. And he's not this battering ram that once he gets to his move, he, he has touch with the floater. He maneuvers yeah. like really well. Like he has twinkle toes for someone who's, who's big and strong. Like the, the high school scout, and I, I went through my old notes, he's still very right-handed, like almost comically so. Like instead of crossing <laughs> with his left, to like back up more to his right, then go back to his yeah. right again. He, he still gets it off. Not a, a, a true shooter from distance. I, I think it's sort of like a push shot, almost like a grenade launcher off yeah. the shoulder. It's uh, a trebuchet. It, it get... <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> the misses are off target when he misses. There's yeah. a lot of backroom, side room stuff. I don't think it's beyond repair. At his size, at being 6'8", as, as much as we just say he plays bigger than that, he's going to have to shoot a little bit. Uh, the energy rebounds won't be the same clip versus NBA size. Uh, we may point to a guy like sort of Isaiah Stewart and say that it's possible for him to use that size, use that height, not necessarily the, the rebounder, but be able to make it work. I, I like his defense a lot. I like the switchability. He moves his feet. He makes contact, protects the rim. Uh, I'm intrigued. I, I, I kind of have him in the like, 20-ish range, higher than, than 40, and Let's see more. I, um, I have my fingers crossed because Wednesday, LSU plays Auburn. That will be a, a mammoth of a, a yep. test. Let's let's knock on wood here that it doesn't get shut down between him and Jabari Smith, potential number one pick in the draft. And, and that will be a, a real barometer to say if he shows up and, and shows out there, he's going to skyrocket. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I think that this is a good time to talk about him because of that game that we hope happens. Uh, how, how bummed are yeah. you in general, too? Like, it, it it's just like hard for me to get excited about like these games right now, just because like I don't know who the fuck's gonna play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I make uh, usually on Sundays I make my watch list of games. I just click through you know, every day and write it down, and I just feel like uh, I got a list that I, I keep crossing out names I know, like right? uh, St- Steve Buscemi and and Billy Madison or whatever. It's just uh, oh that one's gone. Delete that. That one's gone. And I'm not. At, you, you can't like add new ones either. It's like it, it, it's it the, the high major games happening or it's not. I'm yeah. not dumpster diving into some weirdo offshoot game that I, I don't have to watch. But there, there's a couple Saturday. So Wednesday and Saturday should should be good games. I mean, I have. LSU Auburn. I don't think Tennessee Alabama has been canceled yet. Let's knock on wood. I mean, Saturday's Baylor Iowa State, I think Villanova Seton Hall. That that might be canceled. I don't. Know. I, I can't keep up. It, it, it's a bummer, but I I like the world to heal a little bit uh, before we jump back in. <laughs> okay, uh, mailbag section, which we need, we need to come up with a name for this at some point. By the way, we'll, we we'll do. start we'll crowd, crowdsource it. Yeah, we'll start bouncing names uh, this week over text message. Okay, from 
Country Billy at Dan Soch. Uh, would you rather have Darius Garland and Evan Mobley or John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. as your core going forward? You're starting with this one. I've wrestled with this. This, this question I think we've sat on for a little bit. Yeah. And I've waited to, for it to like erase because I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think there's a right answer. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna start with you. It's an unreal question. It's an it unreal is. question. Because it, does it also mean like on that team or, or we're starting a, a new franchise? Are we saying like do you prefer <laughs> I think Cleveland? We're starting do you new. prefer Memphis? Okay. Like I, I think it's like not you know, not on that roster. Because like look, if it was and taking, are, we, are we also saying full health? Like full health, no no health issues, no yeah. nagging stuff for Jaron, no nagging stuff for Darius, like we're good. Yeah, we'll say that. Uh okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, like, look, like, if it was in team context, I probably would take Memphis and take the Morant and Triple J combination. I think that if we're separating the two out, if we're saying, like, just this core, just this duo, mm-hmm. I think I would take Evan Mobley and Darius Garland because I think I would take Mobley over all four of them. Ooh, I like that. I think that Mobley is the highest upside player of that foursome. Game's on the line. It's the fourth quarter. You're in the NBA playoffs. It's game six. Do you trust it throwing it into Evan Mobley in the post? Certainly not right now. No. Um, but do you trust... Look, we're coming off of a week where John Morant has made a game winner, right? But, oh, I'm letting Jaw I'm, I'm ja boogie. That's kind of my point. And I think that's why I'm going John ja Morant and Triple J, because let's set that high ball screen, pop back out, hit a three, if not reverse it. Yeah. We'll pretend Desmond Bain's not there. It, it's it's really close, though. It, it's, it's so really close. close. It's really close. It's, a, it's also a great potential NBA Jam battle, too, that can be played out. Uh, but that's, it was a great question. Great that question. Is Super close. such a gross question. Yeah. Just unreal. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, the reason I would take that duo is literally just that I think Evan Mobley is the highest upside player of that foursome. I would rank them Mobley, Morant, Triple J, and I will have to rank them for the rookie scale rankings that will be coming up. (laughs) But I I would rank them. actually your job. Yeah, literally my job. Uh, I would rank them Mobley, Ja, Triple J, and then Garland. I really like Darius Garland. I I don't really see a case for him. Any higher than fourth there? Uh, the other three, I would say Morant and Mobley are your two that could be number two. Um, <laughs> right. And, and, and probably with um, with Darius, I mean, he could be an all-star this year. Yeah, he, totally. he might get squeezed out, but he's playing that caliber of basketball. Yeah, no. And like, it's not a slight at any of them. No. I think I would take the Cleveland duo, though. Okay. From Bot Exemplary on Twitter, uh, mm. where would Jonathan Kaminga go in this draft? Hmm. Uh, no later than fifth for me. Could could be higher. Um, yeah. My hottest take, I might get killed for this. I, I might actually have Paulo a little bit lower. I just, I, I if, if the draft was like tomorrow, I, I guess just the safe play is I, I'd still take the big three of Chet, Jabari, Paulo, and probably Jaden Ivey before I'd take Kaminga, but no lower than that. Yeah, I, I would probably go 
in the three to five range for Kaminga. Right. right. Somewhere there, no lower than five. I'd really have to think about it. I I, I don't think I could take him over Jaden Ivy. No, so that's why you go fifth, right? Unless yeah. you have some some Paolo or or Chet not not feeling it and sliding them down a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that was an easy one. This is it was a good question. Not just an easy one. Okay. This is more of a conceptual question from Ooh. at vegan underscore baller. Love it. What analytics do you rely on when trying to find numbers that back up what you see when scouting? I test only. We hate analytics over here. Uh, that's 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 good. I, I, it's, it's a great question. I'm not as deep. I love it. It, it is. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not as held to it as much as you are. I don't have the the pivot. I don't analysis. think I'm held to it. So yeah, you, yeah. you even uh, less. So. It, it's it's fun. It's really funny, and and what I'm smiling about it is um, the box and one Twitter had uh, um, uh, a draft Twitter bingo, and one of the the squares on the board was per synergy and i am so guilty of that because that's like my my go-to my tried and true shout out I, matt curly over at synergy our the good best friend. ever the best ever i i, I can't do my half ass job i do without him he's he's the best and he's unlocked yeah. all these stats and analytics and now he's showing me how to look at shot chart so they're definitely the the source for me because it, it is broken down so well and where they rank percentage-wise in regard to the rest of the country and, and where they rank just as like a destination of poor and average and, and very good. So I, I would lead on that, and, and that's a, a better resource for me than just, frankly, looking at field goal percentage or or whatever, just turnovers, because then you can actually like physically watch the turnovers and say, okay, well, that was there because that guy didn't rotate, and analytically, yes, there was a turnover, but I'm, I'm glad he, he tried that read and tried that look because I'd, I'd rather have him get reps, and I don't – I don't worry about that really translating going forward. Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that both of us do tend to rely more on like the tape and scouting uh, than just purely numbers. I certainly look at the numbers. Uh, I do use Synergy a lot. I use Synergy for shot charts a lot. I use Synergy uh, for half-court scoring at the basket, I think is a really effective one in terms of guards. Uh just yeah. it removes transition play. I think that it really helps in terms of determining how good of a half court finisher someone is whenever they have to finish around like a bigger dude. Um, trying to think what, what else do I randomly use? I will use pivot analytics, which mm-hmm. is something that I have access to. Uh, I have like a bunch of on off numbers that I tend to take a look at just to see like, okay, is this guy actually making an impact on the court? Like, is he helping his team win? Uh, You would expect these numbers to be pretty enormous for NBA draft prospects in general. Like, I remember a couple years ago, like Xavier Tillman, like they were 30 points better when he was on the court as opposed to when he was off the court. And part of that is because he... And like Xavier Tillman played like 30 minutes a night. Like, it wasn't like he didn't come off the court or anything. So, you know, you're trying trying to find as many impact stats as you can while also taking what you have in terms of backing of tape and being able to uh, understand the context of the whole thing. Context always, because it's, it's also not 
well, per 100 possessions, this guy does this. Like, yeah, but he doesn't play when it matters. Like, this guy plays right. – like when when people dust off the the AJ Griffin stats before Virginia Tech, it's like okay, but he like he didn't play any meaningful minutes, so the numbers are gonna look great when when he's playing there. So just just be careful. It's always a balance. It's, yeah. it's not one thing or other. The the college numbers in general are extremely noisy for two reasons. One, because the quality of competition across conferences is so different. It's just so yeah. so different. And then number two. The sample size is just going to be smaller. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we get two years of NBA games that's, you know, between 140 and 160 games for most guys, depending on how many guys are playing, I guess, and how many guys are missing some time here and there. But for college, it's 60 games. It's literally, you know, almost a third of that sometimes. So, it can be a little bit harder, I think. It yeah. can be a little bit harder. Right. And then a lot of guys that we're talking about at the highest level play 30 college games. And, you know, we're starting to talk about, you know, high school numbers. And I certainly look at the high school numbers. I've referenced, for instance, like Jaden Hardy's three-point shooting in high school, right? Uh, or Jaden Ivey, I'm sorry, not Jaden Hardy. Um, well, both. Yeah. yeah, well, both, of course. But... Again, those numbers are coming against quality of competition that you just don't know oftentimes. Um, It's going to be real hit or miss in terms of the context Mm -hmm. there. So uh, you have to be careful with the collegiate numbers. Uh, Always going to be tape over numbers here, but they have use. Like I think that it's valuable to take a look at them and see what they're bringing to the table. Uh, Okay, Penny, let's buzz through movies. Let's just... You've watched I'm, I'm, six. I pulled up my list now. Yeah, I, one, one one final wing note. We didn't really touch on Patrick Baldwin Jr. We'll, we'll get. We've talked to him. At I specifically for a just time. didn't want to because it was sad. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. Okay, movies. Lightning round. What I have seen. Um, I watched a documentary, Dead Awake. Have you seen that? It was about a guy who murdered his roommate while sleepwalking, and that was kind of. Uh, his defense, which scared me because when I was younger, I actually did sleepwalk. And oh uh, one time, one time I slept over my cousin's house and they had an alarm system and I set it off walking in the middle of the night. I didn't murder anyone to my knowledge. So that was a little scary. I watched uh, Red Notice. You watch Red Notice? I have seen Red Notice. It was a movie. Uh, it, it was, um, yeah. I'm trying to think when we watched it. It was a Friday night pre pre COVID Christmas. And, uh, my wife and I were just like, we need something like to not think like some explosions. Yeah. We don't yeah. have to like really pay attention. We can like be on our computers texting. It, That's it was literally exactly that. what Laura and I did. We watched <laughs> yeah. it our first night, um, down at the beach a few weeks ago or a month yeah, and a like, half ago. Or I, I, I didn't follow the eggs, what they were doing. I was like, whatever the rocks here. Yeah. Uh, I watched the Kanye and Drake concert on Amazon prime. Uh, I watched, I, I talked about the Matrix uh, Resurrection. I watched the Juice World documentary on HBO. Okay. About the, the rapper. Yeah, you're diving and into these music box documentaries. We got we to gotta get like you working them, for the ringer. I'm, I, I'm a, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I'm just a sucker for the process. I, I am. I, I love the behind the scenes stuff with artists. And then I watched Don't Look Up uh, two nights ago. I still haven't Did seen you it watch yet. that? No. Wow. Okay. I, I think it's basically a clean sweep. I, I liked it. It's, it's getting canned. If you take it too seriously, yeah. I, I get it. I, I thought it was good. It was good fun. Okay. I mean, it was also about like a, a disaster, like end of the world, good fun. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I like the parallels. I like where we're at, and you can kind of apply it to where we're at right now. 
Okay, I've seen Spider-Man twice. Um, twice? Yeah, because I had to go see it opening weekend, <laughs> but Laura was not feeling well, so she didn't go see it. But she also loves these movies, so we went to see it again last night. So, so on quick 30 second aside, maybe less. What's the most times you've ever seen a single movie in a the theater? Um, I've never gone more than twice. I've seen probably okay. quite a few movies twice in theaters, but I've never seen a movie more than twice. At least My since, dad saw... Like, maybe I saw, like, The Phantom Menace when I was, like, nine years old, like, three times like or something. That. But, yeah. My dad saw the original Austin Powers five times in the theaters. Good fun fact. Go ahead, keep going. I give you these little <laughs> tidbits every, every week about my life. Who are you? I don't know. I, it looks behind me. I, don't know. I, have a, I have a fake moose head on the wall with berries around it. I got 55 Christmas cards, been health and safety oh, quarantine. I don't know. I don't know who I am. Okay. Uh, I watched a movie called The Deep House. It's like a scary movie that is <laughs> divers uh, diving to a haunted house. Like, yeah, who am I? Who are into you? The water. You're, you're watching underwater haunted house movie. Keep it going. was cool. I will like right. think about that. Like. It matches two genres of horror movie, like the, <laughs> the diver underwater movie and the haunted house movie. It was pretty cool. The ocean, the ocean is terrifying. I'm terrified of the ocean. Not like I won't go oh, out there, too. but you know, every time that scientists dive deeper in the ocean, they find like a new species. That's terrifying. That's why I'm a sucker for like Cloverfield or Godzilla. Like they came out of the water. I'm like, that's possible. Like, we don't know. Could be down there. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. Um, if you're looking for a scary movie, like horror, you know, direct to video on demand, I, I would watch that one. Like, I, I think okay. that one's actually pretty good. I watched a movie called Agnes, which is like a weird dark comedy nun movie. Um, again, another video on demand choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fine. It, it was really interesting. It was like, it was one of those movies that's like a super interesting, like failure almost, but makes you want to see what the re- the director does next again. Um, okay. I saw Belfast, which is, I believe, currently the favorite to win the Best Picture award. Mm. It is fine. Like, Oh, okay. It's fine. I, I had a nice mm-hmm. time watching it. Um, Jamie Dornan, like, sings... Uh, what, what the hell is he saying? Endless Love? Not Endless Love. Um, I forget. What he sings, he sings like a very nice little. There's like a musical number at the end. All the music in it's like really nice. Uh, It's fine. It's a fine movie. Hmm. Um, I saw Power of the Dog, which is on Netflix. Okay, the second favorite right now, I believe, for Best Picture. That Mm -hmm. was awesome. That was super good. Um, All right, that'll that'll be on my my list potentially for tomorrow. Very slow. Tomorrow, just warning you, like very slow. And (laughs) you're gonna love it. It's really slow. Pay attention. Like, it, it's one of those, it's not a phone movie. Like, you can't really be watching Ooh, it while yeah, you're it's on tough. your phone. Yeah. yeah. Or else you'll be like, what the fuck happened? Mm-hmm. Um, watch Being the Ricardos, which is the new Aaron Sorkin movie yes. that's on Amazon yep. Prime. Yeah. Wasn't really a fan. Which is a bummer, because I really love Aaron Sorkin. Uh, Cop Shop, which is the Gerard Butler, Frank Grillo um prison movie (laughs) okay uh fun like pretty fun it's what you think it is it's like a bottle episode of a tv show where they're in a prison and gerard butler's doing shit uh jungle cruise finally saw jungle cruise 
Yeah. You can watch that with your son. With phone. Yeah. <laughs> um, I watched the worst movie I've seen this year. It's called Hide and Seek with Jonathan Reese Myers. Okay. I don't know if I saw that one. It was one one of those random video on demand things that just pop up. And Mm -hmm. Laura and I were debating, like, taking a nap. And we were like, let's put this on. And we took a nap. Did you watch the trailer before you dive into these or no? Uh, We watched this trailer. Laura picked it immediately that it was not a well made movie. And she was right. (laughs) Good scout. Okay, and then the last movie that I watched, I watched last night. It was Spencer, the Princess Diana movie with Kristen Stewart. Mm-hmm. I think it might be my favorite movie this year. Wow, all right. Some it is very different than what you think it is. Um, I had like a like panic, like anxiety-inducing like episode watching this movie after it oh, last God. night. Like trying to fall that. asleep. I need l- I need less anxiety. It, it is. I need to like. I need to unwind before bed. Not not get wound up. Yeah. Do not watch that movie before bed. Um. It it is literally like it reminded me of a horror movie. I could. <laughs> I, I can't do that. Yeah. I can't do that. I, I was I was surprised. I, I thought you'd see. I have a like a art house ish type movie theater a couple miles from me. I thought you'd say Licorice Pizza was on your your list. I know it's, it's not, not out here stuff. yet. Ooh, okay. Yeah, th- okay. this is the Australian problem for me. Licorice Pizza, House of Gucci. Um, what else? There are a few other things that aren't out yet here. Hmm. Um, what was one I was looking up earlier today? The Lost Daughter. Okay. I think that's one that I'll have to watch on American Netflix, um, which is the Maggie Gyllenhaal, uh, Olivia Coleman movie that is coming yeah. on Netflix. It's supposed to be really good. Um so yeah, I'm running through all of my end of year movies right now, basically. I think that I have like 40 movies on my list for 2021. I'm going to get through them in the next month and um, eventually do like a list of best 2021 movies. But I haven't seen enough. I, I've seen 200 and no, I've seen 2021 oh releases. I've seen, I think like 151. That is something, man. That that's a lot of work. You'll have time. I mean, if these games keep getting canceled, you got nothing but time but to, oh, to watch more movies. Like, yeah. what are what are we going to do? Uh, you know, Laura and I might go down to the beach, you know, for New Year's or something. But like, what else are we going to do? There's no basketball that's like worth watching. <laughs> They'll be back until fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, there's NBA games, but I don't know that I need to watch. Uh, Greg Monroe, Jordan McLaughlin. Like, shout out to oh, those stop, guys for being man. in the NBA. But like, you, you, you know, what's funny is that I actually, um, as we're recording here, I took a screenshot of the the starting lineup last night just to dig it in of, of Jordan McLaughlin, Malik Beasley, Josh Koji, Jane McDaniel's, Nathan Knight, and then you know, Greg Monroe goes nuts. It was uh, it was an experience yeah. as a Celtics fan. It was. Yeah, and like, look, I went back and watched that game, like kind of late last night or you know after it had ended last night because i knew i wanted to talk about it today and, <laughs> i saw the text i, I woke uh, up i forget what time it was like do you want to talk about the celltics i'm like god damn it it's like it's right dark <laughs> what do you want to say like how, what's the what's the positive spin we'll get better oh my you god you guys accountable we'll get better i hope so i hope we get better oh god okay uh penny tell the people where they can find you on the internet uh find me on twitter Matt underscore Penny. I'll be hanging out there a lot, a lot healthier going forward. I, I had a lot of stuff um, to go to 
I, I don't know where my situation is that. Like, Florida State plays BC tomorrow, I think. Like, I don't know if the game was, was changed. North Carolina plays at BC the, the first of the year. Uh, Hoopa is coming up in a couple weeks in January. So everything's touch and go in this area. We'll see where we're at. But uh, I'll, I'll be on the road. I'll actually be at games and getting more eyeballs on prospects, too. It's unbelievable. We're, we're going to have Penny on the road here. We're going to be... Yeah, you know, it'll be game theory uh, podcast. Uh, Roadshow credentialing, credentialing Penny. <laughs> We're trying. I'm waiting for a few to go through. If not, I'll, yeah. I'll pull some of the strings. That's the move. Uh, okay, uh, what else do I have? I have writing coming at some point, like next week, because I will do rookie rankings. I will do um, mock draft update at some point. I will do big board update Ooh. at some point. Uh, I would like there to be games so I could watch more of these players and figure out who is good but until then you're gonna have to deal with a big board that is comically uh disorganized and messy um trying to think what else all rookie scale rankings probably late in january at some point but there's gonna be a lot coming up uh and we're gonna have podcasts please go subscribe to the youtube channel thank you for lifting us up over a thousand subscribers like that's crazy to me um, that I had like set that as an end of year goal and we reached it. I think, what was it? Cause, uh, Penny's, uh, lovely wife Jackie was, Penny the, was number 1000. I said, give yeah. me your phone. So why? So there's at nine ninety nine. watch this since Sam the video. <laughs> so that was, uh, I don't know, a couple days ago we got there though. Beat, beat the buzzer, beat the new yeah. year buzzer. So thank you guys. It was so nice to see that take over. Um, yeah, more YouTube content. I'll be cutting this thing up into videos and you this will be the first place that you can see the podcast so uh thank you all for watching and listening and please remember to rate review subscribe to the show on your podcast platforms as well as on youtube but we will be back later this week with some nba stuff but until next time we will talk soon bye